Hello, and welcome to Omo's Story. My name is Joe Enos, and this is a weekly podcast where I will cover different topics and provide you with stories from my own life. I'm a gay man, an immigrant from the Azores Islands, a brother of seven siblings, a healthcare worker, Seattle resident, and sometimes just a guy with a microphone ranting. Thank you for listening, and this is Omo's Story. In this week's podcast, I will be reading two fiction stories which I have written, one titled Madeline and the Fiddler, and the other Satan's Child. As I've stated before in this podcast, I am a Mo who tells stories, and I oftentimes come up with really elaborate, random stories, and this is one of them. Madeline and the Fiddler. A phone rings at a quiet New York psychiatry office. The receptionist picks up the phone and says, hello? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Okay, yes, I'll send her in. Thank you. She hangs up the phone and turns and looks and says, Madeline, Dr. Grunewald will see you now. The girl sitting in the waiting room, Madeline, replies, okay, thank you, as she begins to put her iPad into her purse and stands. Once she secured her purse on her shoulder, she did a quick overview of her skirt to make sure that the linen had not wrinkled as she was sitting. She might be in a psych office, but she was not a fashion victim. She continues to make her way to the exam room. When she opens the door to the room, you can hear someone say, Madeline, it's so great to see you. Come in, please, sit down, let's catch up. Madeline looks at her with half a smile and says, Hello, Grunwald. Dr. Grunwald quickly replies, Oh, I see that we're not doing formalities today. As she jots down one or two notes and waits for Madeline to reply. Madeline says, I'm sorry. I just don't know what I'm doing here. Dr. Grunwald looks at her and says, What do you mean, Madeline? We are doing some great work. She says, You know, how long have I been doing this? How long have I been coming here? Well, since he rejected you in 1985. Madeline smiles and says, oh, it feels like it was yesterday. Dr. Grunwald then replies, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Tell me about your week. Let's go through it in detail. Madeline lifts up her head and she says, I bought the security team lunch. Dr. Grunwald said, security team? Who are you buying lunch for? Whose security team? For Jeffries. You know, the ones on the island. I bought them lunch and sent it to them and signed the card myself. Dr. Grunwald's face quickly changes. And she starts to write down some notes. Madeline burts out, I also bought an inflatable boat. Hopefully I'll be able to get to the island. I hope this time they won't be able to shoot it. And I know what you're going to say, Dr. Grunewald, but I'd love him. And I can't stop thinking about him. I have to get to that island. Well, it's more that I can't stop thinking about why he didn't choose me. Dr. Grunewald leans forward and says, Madeline, this is sexual assault. It's not something that you should think is your destiny. It's not something that you should seek or want. It's more than that. I love him, Madeline says. You don't understand. And it hurts. He picked 125 other girls, just not me. I've loved him since that day that he rejected me in Palm Beach, when I couldn't give a massage, and was interrupted by you-know-who while in that filthy house. And had she not come in the room, he would have sexually assaulted me. Madeline, this concerns me, and I think we need to try to do some exercises, Grunwald says. Until our next session, I'd like you to do the following. Three times a day, I'd like you to repeat the following statement. I am more than the girl that Jeffrey Epstein did not sexually assault. Say it with me, Madeline, please. I am more than the girl that Jeffrey Epstein did not sexually assault. The other, I want you to keep a journal of every time you think of him or the island or Palm Beach or anything associated with this horrible situation and give me detail about your feelings and why you're feeling that way. And with your permission, I'm going to consult some of my colleagues because I'm at a loss here and I'm not sure which direction we should go. Yeah, sure. Can you help me get on the island? 
Madeline, she said. That's not the point. But I think that's going to be all for today. I will see you at our next session. Complete your assignments, and we will discuss it then. Madeline says okay and stands up. And as she grabs her purse, Dr. Grunewald notices a button on her purse. It says, Save Jeffrey. Quickly, Madeline hurries to cover it with her hands and starts to proceed to the door. As she's walking out the door, she says, Bye, Grunewald! And chickles once or twice. As she got outside, her eye watch notified her of a training that she had signed up for. She had totally forgotten. This was so important. It was the New York City clergy training, which would get her the ability to document herself as a clergy member and get in to the prison where Jeffrey was. As she walked down the street, she practiced different ways she'd say hello to him once she was in the prison. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jeffrey. Oh, hi, Jeffrey. Uh, hello, it's me, Madeline. Onlookers looked at her as if she was crazy, but she didn't care. She was practicing to meet her destiny. She had decided that she was going to take the online training at her favorite coffee shop, Central Perk. It's a place she liked to go oftentimes to hang out with her friends, Monica, Joey, and Chandler. Because no one told her that life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, and your love life is a DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear. And it hasn't been your week, your month, or even your year. As she arrived at Central Perk, the barista recognized her and said, Hi, Madeline. How are you? Are you having your usual? She replied, Yep. Triple shot cappuccino, please. He then asked her, How's your treasure hunt going you told me about? She had forgotten that she had told him that her conquest of Jeffrey was actually a treasure hunt because she didn't want him to think she was weird. It's going, she replied, but that's why I'm here. I'm going to do some online training that will help me to achieve my destiny and ultimately get my treasure. The barista said, That sounds amazing. Good luck. She said thanks and grabbed her coffee and sat down. She then pulled out her iPad and logged on as quickly as she could and began the modules of the New York City clergy certification. Chapter one had lots of definitions. Pedophiles, Boy Scout leaders, a lot of weird things she didn't understand the association to, but she kept reading. As she kept reading, there was more and more definitions, and in Madeline's form, she started to daydream. She started daydreaming about what it would be like once she completed her study and she had her clergy certificate and she could go into any prison or government building to say that she was there to help somebody pray. Would she wear normal clothing or would she do something maybe like a sexy nun? Oh, but Jeffrey was Jewish. So maybe like a sexy fiddler on the roof. Yeah, that sounds right. She then began to say, and a couple of people looked at her as if she had lost her mind. She looked over at them and said, I'm studying for my clergy certification. They quickly looked away. After an hour of reading module after module, her excitement was barely containable as she was now going to sign the oath of the, of the New York City clergy certificate. It stated, by signing this oath, you promise to provide good to those in need of prayer. You will also do your best as a clergy member to hide and protect the name of the clergy from any wrongdoing unless otherwise subpoenaed by a court, in which case you should plead the fifth or say that you're going to go away with your family to now work under prayer to, to heal from the wrongdoing that has happened. Madeline said, Amen! And then realized she just needed to sign. Madeline quickly went across the street to a Kinko's and asked the person who was helping her if she could have four copies of her certification, different colors, one laminated and one wallet size. And she would need it very quickly as she needed to get to the jail quickly because there was a man in need of prayer. The Gingo's employee informed her that this would be rather costly. Madeline said, oh no, that's fine. You see, the man that in need of prayer at the jail, he's a very wealthy man. And once he knows who I am, he will definitely reimburse me for these fees. 
Okay, the Kingo's employee said. I'll have it ready by three. She said, oh, thank you so much. I'll be back at three o'clock promptly. Everything was working just as she had planned because she knew that visiting hours were over at five, but clergy could come in at seven until 9 p.m. to do prayer. And her certificate would be back in time, all four colors, laminated and wallet sized. But now she had to figure out what to wear. And she didn't know where you could find Fiddler on the Roof clothing in such a short notice. Hoboken, she said. Of course. That's where Jewish people come from, right? She fast walked over to the train and got on the L train to Hoboken, New Jersey. While on the train, she saw a lady that she thought looked like one of the characters from Fiddler on the Roof. So she went over and she said, excuse me, are you Jewish? The woman looked up at her and said, no, I'm Muslim. She said, but you look like a Fiddler on the Roof character. The woman stood and immediately got off the train, not knowing what she was talking about. And it wasn't even her stop. But she wasn't sure if Madeline was joking or not. And after 9-11, the Bushes made everyone who was Muslim a terrorist, and she didn't want to get into it today. Madeline then said, hey, Suri, write this down. A Jewish head napkin. She thought that's what they were called. I'm sure that's what they were called. Head napkin. She started to put together her clergy outfit in her head. It would be a tailored skirt with really tall high heels, a white open shirt where you could see either like a camisole or the lace of her bra, and then her Jewish head napkin. Jeffrey would not be able to resist her in her Jewish head napkin. Quickly over the loudspeaker, next stop, Hoboken. Madeline clapped with glee. She walked off the platform, up the stairs, and into Hoboken, where she found nothing. There was no Jewish clothing stores or head napkin stores. Shit, what was she going to do? She quickly remembered there was a Halloween store that she had saw on the train and that she could go back a couple stops and go there and see if they had Jewish head napkins. And that's what she did. Upon arriving to the Halloween store, she went right to the cashier and said, excuse me, I need help. This is an emergency. The cashier said, at a Halloween store? Madeline replied, don't get cute. Come help me find something. He said, okay, okay, calm down. You're a little excitable right now. What do you need? Is it an emergency? She said, I need a Jewish clergy outfit. Something that looks like Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, with a Jewish uh, head napkin, please. He said, what? I don't even think that's a costume. Oh, no, no, I'm sure it is, she said. I've seen it before on movies and, uh, you know, at synagogues. Yes, yes, it's definitely something. He walked her over to the religious costume section and said, we have nuns, priests, Joan of Arc, Romans, but no Jewish clergy outfit. And what did you call that thing again? A Jewish head napkin, she said. She looked over the costumes and said, none of these will work. Do you have a sexy teacher costume? The man helping her became very confused and intrigued at the same time, but he knew he shouldn't ask, so he just directed her to where the sexy costumes were. Madeline took a skirt from something called the kitty, a shirt from something called the slut, and she couldn't find a Jewish head napkin. She said, think, Madeline, think, think. Where have you seen a Jewish head napkin? (gasps) She remembered there was a restaurant over on the pier that had napkins that looked like Mother Teresa's head napkin. And she could use that. It's the same. It's just like it. It's clergy persons. Yeah, yeah. So she was going to run over there really quickly and grab one. She had an hour anyway until Kinko's was done. So she thought, oh, I can make it. Definitely. And again, she was back on track to her destiny and getting her treasure. As she walked over to the pier to get her head napkin, She started reminiscing back of when she met Jeffrey, 1985. She was in the mall practicing her, you spin me Raj round, baby Raj round. And she had gotten so dizzy she had fallen on the ground. And there was Jeline, 
who asked her what she was doing, and she just said, I was practicing my round, 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 until you got in my way, old lady. Jolene replied, watch your tongue, young lady. I'm going to change your life. She said, oh, do you have a DeLorean? No, but I have a friend who has more money than he knows what to do with, and he likes girls like you to just give him a massage every now and then. What do you think? Would you be interested? Madeline said, I don't have to do anything funny, right? He's not old or fat. No, no, it's just a simple massage. It'll pay you $200. Madeline said, for reals, $200. Jolene said, yep, he likes a massage. Madeline said, yeah, why not? I'll do it. Jolene then went over the details of how it was going to happen. The car would come get her. They would take her to an exclusive property on Palm Beach. She would be escorted upstairs. There would be a massage table. She would do her massage and then she would leave. It all seemed really easy and innocent. It was kind of weird how easy it was. But she didn't care. She was going to make 200 bucks. So just as promised, the car came to get her. She got to this beautiful home with a big gate. She then was escorted upstairs to this room. And immediately she thought, I thought this guy had a lot of money. Why does this room look like it was decorated from one of those furniture stores that are in the middle of Latin communities where you can get a bed, a dresser, a TV, and a nightstand for $299 and they deliver it. But it's all ugly. Lots of it wasn't even matching. And the towels that were on the massage table looked like they had been used lots of times at a bathhouse. She was all for massaging somebody, but she was not going to be in somewhere dirty. As she started to pick up a couple things and like kind of just wipe the surfaces, she heard the door open. And there in the dark was a man with a robe on and an NYU hat on. He took his NYU hat off and you could see he had really bad haircut. Almost like as if it was a Jufro that had been in a convertible all day. And he was not very attractive. And his clothing didn't match either. What was left of what he had on. He got on the table and took off the robe, underpants, and a really bad stained white t-shirt and said, are you here for my massage? And she said, yeah, I, I guess so. He said, you guess so? She said, well, I don't mind doing a massage and you know, you are paying me, but I do have some questions if you don't mind. He said, questions? Like what? She's like, is this your house? He said, well, yes it is. She goes, I thought you were rich. Why is it so poorly decorated? He lifted it from the massage table and looked at her like, are you kidding me? She then said, and your towels are filthy. Even your shirt. Do not soak your whites. She had realized then at that point that she had said too much. Jeffrey stood from the table and walked out of the room. Jaylene then came back very, very upset. She said, what do you think you're doing? What do I think I'm doing? Nothing. I just asked if I could ask a few questions. She said, you're not here to ask questions. You're here to give a massage. She said, I cannot perform a massage in this environment. The furniture is mismatched. It's all ugly. The towels are filthy. Even he is filthy. Gross. I thought you guys had money. She said, oh, you sure do know a lot for being 14 years old. She said, yeah, I do. And I'm not going to touch anything disgusting in this room. Jaylene quickly went to her purse and gave her $200 and said, here, leave. And you're going to have to find your own ride home. She said, but wait, that's it? I, I mean, I, I didn't mean any offense. I'm sorry. Nope. You've done yourself in. Leave. And she did. She walked out, sad that she had said something, but at the same time, she couldn't have touched anything in that room. It was so disgusting. She had decided to save her $200 and not waste it on a cab and just walk the three miles home. It gave her time to think, too. When Madeline got home, she called a friend of hers, who had also told her that she had been there to massage Jeffrey. 
and that she thought Madeline was lucky because he didn't touch her. He had touched her friend and she still felt uncomfortable about it and he was such a perv. And Jolene and him both keep calling her and they keep following her different places. This upset Madeline even more. Wait a minute. They did all that and they do all that for you? Madeline quickly realized that was not her destiny. She was not going to be one of Jeffrey Epstein's victims or one of the people that he paraded around and showered with gifts. Shit! She had ruined her own destiny. But if only she could try to correct it. And from 1985 to this day, that's what she did. She had applied for multiple jobs at the mansion, at the Palm Beach residence, at the island, and any time her name would come across, even if she made it up a new one that was just like her name, Jolene would catch it and throw it out and she wouldn't hear a callback. She once waited outside the mansion for two days to see Jeffrey. And another time she chartered a helicopter, but they shot it down. Out of desperation, she even tried to reach some of Jeffrey's friends. Bill Gates, Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, Oprah, Prince Andrew, all people she had seen at their parties or on the plane. She spent many hours writing letters and no one responded. She couldn't understand why they wouldn't help her. It was a misunderstanding. She was a 14-year-old girl. She didn't want her legacy to be the only girl that Jeffrey Epstein didn't touch. She quickly remembered her assignment. I am more than the girl that Jeffrey Epstein didn't touch. Grunewald would be proud of her. She had gotten herself so worked up, she had forgotten what she went to the pier for. And then quickly she remembered, oh, God, I gotta go get the napkin. She walked into the restaurant. She said, excuse me, hi. I'm a clergy member here in New York City. I have a certificate. I wondered if you could help me. Um, I need a Jewish head napkin, and I believe that you have them on your table. The 16-year-old waitress looked at her and said, what did you say? I hate to repeat myself over and over again, as I'm in a rush. I need a Jewish head napkin. Ma'am, this is a seafood restaurant on the pier. And what the hell is a Jewish head napkin? Don't get smart with me, young lady, Madeline said. I know where I'm at. I'm a clergy member. Could you please just get me one of your napkins? The girl grabbed one from underneath the receptionist stand, took the silverware out of it, and handed it to her. And Madeline said, thank you. Was that so difficult? And walked out. And now she had just enough time to make it back to Kinko's, get to her own apartment, change into her clergy outfit and pin her Jewish head napkin on before she would make it to clergy visiting hours at the jail. As Madeline put on her outfit that she had gotten at the Halloween store, the kitty skirt and the slut shirt, she looked in the mirror and thought to herself, damn, I look pretty good for a clergy member. She took her terry cloth Jewish head napkin with a blue and white stripe on it and she pinned it to her head and she looked in the mirror again and she thought, oh my God, I look just like Fiddler on the Roof. Well, a fiddler on the roof clergy member. I keep forgetting that I have to introduce myself as a clergy member. And she began to giggle and go, da 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 She put on her last stiletto, grabbed her purse, and she was off to the jail. She hailed a cab, but she didn't have time for trains today. And when she arrived, she had known that she had to go through a separate entrance in the back where all clergy enter. There she met her private escort, Officer Jones. Officer Jones explained to her, that he was there to escort clergy through the facility and that if she had any trouble, to notify him. He then asked her, who are you here to see? She said, oh, I'm here to provide prayer for a Jeffrey Epstein. The man looked at her and said, are you sure? She said, yes, of course I'm sure. All people, regardless of their guilt, deserve prayer. He said underneath his breath, I don't know about this one. Madeline became upset and said, I'm so glad that I am a clergy person who could overlook the bad things that have happened to people 
and that I'm here to provide prayer. She said, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I'm a woman of a Hebrew nation, a chosen people, like the hot dog. Yeah, like the hot dog. He just said, empty your purse and come through the security gate. As Madeline went through the gate, they wanted her and immediately something came over the radio. Attention, a 483. I repeat, attention, a 483. All officers respond. Officer Jones put his hand up to Madeline and said, wait, hold on a second. We have an emergency. I'm going to have to ask you to wait out in the waiting area where we came in. But Officer Jones, Jeffrey needs prayer. Look, Hebrew chosen person, I told you, go out to the waiting area. I have to leave. There's an emergency. Madeline was so mad she didn't even know what to say. She just turned around and walked right out. As she was walking out back into the waiting area, more and more officers kept running by. And you kept hearing, 483, 483. She got her iPad out when she sat down in the waiting area and Googled 483. Google told her that it meant there was a high-profile person that had been kept in solitude that had killed themselves. Madeline wondered, who could it be? Could it be Yoko Ono? Or Tanya Harding? No, 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 no. It was Boy George for when he called 911 and told them that his escort had stole all his cocaine and he needed help right now. And they arrested him. She started to giggle because she knew it definitely had to have been him. And then, suddenly, panicked, she realized, oh shit, Jeffrey was in solitude confinement and he's a high-profile person. Oh no! She walked back to the gate and she started banging on the gate. Excuse me, excuse me, I have to do my prayer. Excuse me, hello, is anyone there? I need to do my prayer. But no one replied. They were all answering to the 483. The facility quickly became chaotic. And Officer Jones walked by and said, you're still here? She said, yes, I need to do my prayer. Ma'am, they have closed all visitation for everyone, including clergy. And soon, this place is going to be bombarded with media. I would encourage you to get out of here before you get stuck and you can't leave. Madeline said, can I ask you something? And he said, what? She said, was the 483 Jeffrey Epstein? And he didn't say anything, but she could tell in his eyes that it was. And he just said, ma'am, I need you to leave. Madeline was full of excitement and anxiety and emotion that she didn't understand. She was so close. And yet, had he died, she didn't know. She had tried to Google. Nobody was telling her anything. And yet, she was that close. She wasn't sure what to do. And if he died, her destiny would always be that she was the girl he didn't sexually assault. She knew what she had to do, but she didn't want to do it. She reached into her purse, and she grabbed Dr. Grunewald's business card and dialed it. The person answered, Marilyn Grunewald residence, may I help you? Hi. My name is Madeline, and I need to speak to Dr. Grunewald emergently, please. Well, Dr. Grunewald is not available at this time. She's with her children having dinner. But tell her it's Madeline. It's an emergency. She'll understand. All right. I will see what I can do. Madeline held for a couple minutes, and Dr. Grunewald got on the phone and said, Madeline, are you okay? She said, yes, Dr. Grunewald. I just didn't know what to do. I think Jeffrey's dead. She said, what? Where are you? She's like, I'm at the jail. I became a New York clergy person and got a certificate and was going to go pray with him. But then when I got there, they had a 483 and they said the celebrity person had died. And they won't tell me anything and I think it's him. Madeline, you sound manic. I think you should go to the nearest emergency room and seek some help and let them know that they can reach me via pager. But right now, Madeline, I just need you to get some help. Don't just stay there. Okay, Dr. Grunwald, I'll do what you're saying because I don't know what I feel and I'm really uncomfortable right now. So Madeline walked over to the NYU Medical Center emergency room 
and checked herself in. As the triage nurse was taking her information and Dr. Grunwald's information, she saw a gurney go by and there she could see Jeffrey's head. And immediately she began to cry and fainted and they had to call for a rapid response support in the middle of the emergency room for her fainting because she had saw Jeffrey's dead body. Because she had checked herself into the emergency room, there was a mandatory three-day psych hold. And so she missed all the services because Jeffrey was Jewish and he had to be buried within 24 hours. Out of concern for the situation, the emergency room doctor suggested that she stay an extra night. And she agreed as she didn't want to go home alone and have to see the news and learn more about the details of him dying when she was there. The next day they discharged her and she went home and passed out. The following morning, she figured she had to start doing something. So she got up, went and got a newspaper and was eating her favorite cereal as she was reading all the articles about Jeffrey. She noticed a bracelet that she had gotten once when she was 15 years old that said, you'll be a victim your whole life. As she stroked the letters in the bracelet, there was another article in the paper right on the corner. There was a new serial rapist in New York City. She took a big bite of her Fruit Loops, swallowed it down and smiled, tore the newspaper article out, grabbed her housecoat and keys, and there she was going to go meet her new conquest, her destiny, her treasure. Because if there was one thing she knew, the bracelet was right. She would be a victim her whole life. Or she would die trying. As Madeline ran to the address listed in the paper, she quickly ran into someone and he knocked her over. She said, excuse me, watch where you're going. He said, oh my God, are you okay? Did I hurt you? She said, no, but you need to watch where you're going. He replied, I'm so sorry. I'm an understudy. I had just gotten a call that the main actor who plays the father on the fiddler in the roof is not gonna be able to perform today. And so I'm going on as him. And I'm finally going to get to sing the song. If I was a rich man, yo do 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 Madeline looks at him and says, it's a little more like, they both chuckle. He says, hey, I'm Joe. She says, I'm Madeline. He's like, I don't have a lot of time right now, but would you like to get together sometime and have like a cup of coffee? She said, sure. There's a place up the street called Central Perk. I go there often to meet my friends. Joe says, do you know Monica Chandler and Joey? She's all, everyone knows them. It's so funny. He says, what if you say tomorrow at noon? Would you like to meet? She said, yeah, I'd like that. And to show my support for you being the lead in the fiddler on the roof, I'll wear my Jewish head napkin. He didn't know what that meant. So he just said, okay, okay. I'll see you tomorrow at noon at Central Perk. It's a date. As she turned to walk back to her apartment, she had noticed the button on her purse that said, save Jeffrey. She unclipped it and threw it in the trash and realized Wow, Jeffrey was such a mysterious person because he had been the matchmaker, just like in The Fiddler. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Maybe a mo whose name might be Joe. Jeffrey had died and nobody cried. Matchmaker, matchmaker, look through your book and make me a catch. Madeline was no longer a victim, but a chosen one. Madeline thought it's a good thing she got that Jewish head napkin. The end. I know what you're thinking. Goddamn, Joe, you're fucking crazy. But hear me out. I, for the longest time, thought it would be the funniest story about a girl who Jeffrey Epstein didn't assault and she kept trying to get to him and he kept trying to get away from her. And it all started from 
the scene in the Adams Family Values movie where Wednesday is with the little blonde girl and they're playing, they're playing rescuer and survivor, and the little blonde girl goes, "I'll be the victim! I'll be the victim!" And Wednesday looks at her and says, "Your whole life." I've always thought that was the funniest damn thing. And so I've always wanted to write something around that stupid phrase. And this week I did it. I hope that you enjoyed the randomness around it. And luckily for you, there's another one. This next tale comes to us from the South. Satan's Child. In the southern part of the Americas comes a story of the creation once made by Satan himself. It is said that the creatures of the forest had sensed that the creation would be coming, and that the smaller creatures of the forest had ran for their safety in fear of what Satan was sending. The larger, more fearless creatures waited to see what Satan was sending himself. Shortly after the hour of 2 a.m. on May 27th in the year of 1972, under a dark sky that had passed over the nuclear waste pond, stinky and extremely hazardous and not visited by anyone ever since the disaster, the creatures of the forest waited. Lurking underneath the hazardous waters, a bubble began to arise. One, then two, then many, then lots of bubbles. Tidal waves started to form in the water, thrashing and more thrashing until you could see a giant explosion coming out of the water. Satan had picked this area because of the coolness of the water and how hazardous it was. Since his creation was being sent from hell, it needed to be in a waste dump because that was the only water that was cool enough to cool it. Some of the creatures became scared and left, while others began to see what was coming out of the water. First you could see the crown of its head, and then slowly more and more, and they noticed that it had blonde hair. But not a good blonde, like a blonde that had gotten her there, died, and then gone into a swimming pool afterwards. More and more of Satan's creation rose out of the water, and they could see that it was dressed, poorly dressed. It was wearing a large sweater and workout pants, just the way that Satan wanted it, so no one would want to fuck it. Then suddenly, you could hear murmurs coming from Satan's creation. It started speaking, I do not recall... I don't remember. As the large creatures on the forest floor shook, it was clear now what it was. Satan had sent over his worst creation ever, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Why would he do this? But without thinking, the rest of the creatures ran for their safety. And as they ran away, she yelled, I will get you and your Jewish space lasers. She splashed around through the nuclear waste dump water and came ashore. Alone on the shore, she continued to yell, I will legislate to promote hate. And as the story goes, we've been warned by Satan before that if we don't get our shit together, he will send another one of his creations to us. The end. Woo, we should heed that warning. Good story, huh? Well, I hope that you enjoyed this week. These are some of the stories that I have written myself um, from my random brain. And I want to thank you for listening. This has been a Mo Story. Please subscribe. Tell your friends, leave a review, and thank you again for listening this week to a Mo Story.